Well, amen. It is a delight to be with you. This is round three. And uh, I'm still standing, praise God. But um, we're delighted to be here. I have a ministry called Grace Relations. It's um, ministry to College of Biblical Studies. Those slides up there yet? We got shoot a slide up. There up. I can't see it here. That's all right. If you got them, that's all right. But anyway, Grace Relations, you can go on and you can contact us and be glad to send you some information. Grace is an acronym. It stands for God's Reconciliation at Christ's Expense. That's what I'm all about. I'm about the Lord Jesus Christ. I rejoice that um, my wife and I come August 18th, 47 years of marriage. Six kids and four grandchildren. Glad to see Matt back there. He's a quadriplegic son. He and a friend, Brad, came out to this service. Glad to see them. The College of Biblical Studies and Crossroads Bible College, as we said, merged in um, July 2019. And our mission statement is the College of Biblical Studies exists to glorify God by educating and equipping multi-ethnic Christian leaders to impact the world for Christ. I've been speaking on this subject for quite a while. My first book, I think it came out in about 1982. I actually wrote a paper in college in the 1970s on the same subject, Prejudice in the People of God. In that book, I wanted to go back and look at especially the church, the way the church has responded to segregation and slavery and uh, civil rights struggles and things like that. We have some work to do. I also wrote a book with a brother of the light of hue named Ken Davis. We wrote a book called Ferguson, How Should a Church Respond After the uh, Killing of Micah Brown? And um, we took it this way. He took it from the aspect of as a brother of the light of hue, he wanted to listen to brothers and sisters of the darker hue, what they were saying about it. Then I, as one of the darker hue, we had talking to brothers and sisters of the light of hue and see what they thought. Then we talked to one another and we put it together in an article and we have... We had 15 practical suggestions for the church to move forward in that. Ken Davis and I also created a class called Culture, Race, and the Church. Three credit hour class. It was required of every student who would graduate from <coughs> Crossroads Bible College. And that's required of every student who graduated from the College of Biblical Studies. We think it's important that our students address this issue from a biblical point of view and understand something about the history involved. Then I speak in different places and pray. I've been at state prayer meetings, city prayer meetings, off and on on Moody Radio. I have a one-hour radio spot with the Bot Radio Network that goes across the country. Then I just got uh, on uh, Answers in Genesis. They have put the Grace Relations six training videos on their uh, Answers in Genesis streaming service. And then... Wrote a book with Ken Ham, One Race, One Blood. One of our passions is to have a biblical worldview on the subject of race relations. So we argue in that book there's one race, a human race, but it's one sinful race. And therefore, and you, and I, you and I have to deal with that even in the church. Brings me to a time when um, God challenged my heart. I was in Thailand, 2004. Billy Graham crusade. Uh, Billy Graham organization, rather, they called together the uh, leaders from all over the country. 
And in 2004, they put us in study groups. And I was in a group of 48 people. We had a Hutu and a Tutsi. We had a black South African, white South African. We had um, an Israeli and a Palestinian. All of us saved. And for one week, we wrestled with this question. Confronting racial, tribal, and ethnic conflict within the Christian community and seeking reconciliation and transformation. The big question that was on the table was simply this. Is the gospel powerful enough to bring people together, to save them and bring them together from groups that are divisive, groups that have dysfunctional relationship, and cause them to love one another in such a way that the watching world would believe that we were Christ's disciples? Well, we wrestled that, that for a whole week, and then we came to our conclusion. The conclusion was this. We believe that, the recon- that reconciliation is God's initiative. The church is called to be a living sign of the one body of Christ. Reconciliation is at the heart of the gospel and the church's life and mission, and is integral to evangelism and justice. Reconciliation is a deep and costly process. And requires humility, forgiveness, courage, and patience. We're committed to pursuing God's reconciling mission in a world of broken relationships and destructive conflicts. I believe that all of you believe that same thing. In fact, in the training I do when I go through the Grace Relations dream, I walk through that. But one of the, one of the concepts is the gospel and its power. But I want to tell you something. I believe that. I say that. I believe you, most of you would believe that and say that. But we've got some challenges. We've got a broken world. Right now, we've got the pandemic going on, and that's got us kind of uproaring, fearful, some of us. And then we've got the whole political division in our country. And then we've got the racial unrest, and, and we've got all this stuff going on. And, and, and the question is, do you believe, do I believe that the gospel is powerful enough to bring us as Christians together in such a way that the watching world will know that we are Christ's disciples? Now, I have to admit to you that um, I believe that, I preach that, I pray that for you. Praying for my own heart, revive my heart, and say, God, redeem a Bible. If I could get one thing out of it, God, would you stir a revival in the hearts of the people at Redeem a Bible Church and they would love one another in such a radical way that all of Greenwood would look at them as such a different group of people? But in my Bible reading, God challenged my heart and said, Do you believe it? You say it, you preach it, you pray it, and honestly, I had to say no. No, I think I'll come and preach, and some people say, hey, that was a good sermon. Some people say he was horrible, and other people say, I don't really care, and, and you go on with life as normal. And then I ask myself, what is the hope of our country? As I go through my grace relations dream training, I have certain objectives that I want to see. 
The first of those objectives is I want to see true discipleship. That is, I want to see those who go through the training, they come out loving God with their whole heart, soul, and mind more. They come out loving their neighbor more. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 22, 37 through 20, 39, that that is the greatest commandment. And I want to say to you, I want to say to myself, if we get in discussions about race and all the rest, if we go through training of diversity and inclusion and bias and we don't come out loving God more and loving our neighbor more, we have failed to become what God wants us to be. You and I, as born-again believers and dwelt by the Spirit of God, part of the family of God, proclaiming the gospel of God for the advancement of the kingdom of God, if you and I of all people are not growing in our love for God and our love for neighbor, then what in the world are we doing? So I want my life, I want God to, 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 to convict me and transform me so that I love him more and I love my neighbor, especially Christians right now. I'm talking to the church. That's why I expect this outcome. Second thing I'm looking for is edification. I'm running around talking to people. So many people are scared. So many people are confused. So many people are paralyzed. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. If I say this, I might offend somebody. If I do this, I might offend somebody. If I do nothing, I offend somebody. I'm paralyzed. Well, I want you to know as the people of God, those of us who've been saved by the grace of God and dwelt by the Spirit of God, led by the Word of God, if we're paralyzed, the devil has paralyzed us. He is a liar. He is a deceiver. He sows discord amongst the brethren. I want you to understand that the Spirit of God, where, 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 where the Spirit of God is there, liberty is there, freedom is there. You and I have the truth of the Word of God, and the country desperately needs it. We cannot afford to be paralyzed. We've got to find a way to be motivated by the love of God so that we will proclaim the Word of God and we will love one another the way Christ loved us. The next thing I want there is manifestation. I want to see John 13, 35, fill up. Jesus said, by this shall all men will know that you are my disciples. Energy have love one for another. I read a lot of books on evangelism. <clears throat> They'll tell you how to, how to meet somebody, how to say this, how to give the gospel, how to go that, how to do the rest. Oh, it's great. But what I haven't seen is a marketing tool for getting the gospel out, which says that if we as Christians love one another the way Christ loved us across ethnic and economic and all the barriers we create, that that will cause people to say, you are the disciples of Christ. What has you got that we don't have? We need to love one another. And you don't need somebody that looks different from you. Our churches have problems with one another when we all look alike. Trying to love one another. We're living in a day and age right now where good pastors, God-fearing pastors, Bible-preaching pastors, gospel-preaching pastors, people in their church are saying they're going to the social gospel. They're going into cultural Marxism and, and putting on Facebook and, and social media all kinds of negative things, and they haven't even approached. They don't even know what they're talking about here in a moment. I'll show you. The devil's at work. One of the things we got to do is we got to demonstrate love one for another. And then that's for evangelization. We've got the gospel. People aren't saved because of the color of their skin. People are not saved because of how much money they make or what neighborhood they live in. No, people are saved because they hear the gospel, repent of their sin, and believe on Christ. And you and I have that message. The question is, are we getting it out? 
And then the last thing I want to get out of these trainings that I do is we do what we do for the glory of God. I don't live for the praise of man. I am not letting people define me. God will define me. And I don't want to live to hear you praise me. I want to live that when I stand before Christ, I hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. For the glory of God. The process I use, talk about respectful conversations that lead to loving collaborations that leads to personal and community change. Now, that's difficult for us. Because you and I live in a time right now with this racial tension and protest going on. So we hear black lives matter. We hear blue lives matter. We hear white lives matter. We hear all lives matter. And I can probably tell you each one of those statements has a different meaning for most of you. Are you talking about the political definition of it? Are you talking about the cultural definition of it? Are you talking about the biblical definition of it? Are you talking about your personal experience and how you define it? You and I cannot have respectful conversations because we can't even agree what we're talking about. And we're blaming and shaming one another. We don't even understand one another. I'm saying as Christians, we need to get straight on some definitions and we need to get straight on, am I talking about personal racism? Am I talking about Christians? Am I talking about the church? Am I talking about the community? Am I talking about the country? And am I defining it biblically? Am I defining it uh, uh, politically? Am I defining it culturally? Am I defining it personally? We need to listen to one another to find out at least what we're talking about to find out whether we're in agreement or not. It's difficult in this society in which we live in. But if we can have respectful conversations, especially those of us who are Christians who are not seeking to make re uh, uh, reconciliation, we were reconciled according to Ephesians 2. We were reconciled in Christ, so we're one. I need you and you need me. If we're to accomplish the will of God and advance the kingdom of God, we need one another. And therefore, we're going to have to get in some loving collaboration where we get enough understanding of one another. You got my back. I got your back. We all will exalt Christ and the word of God. We will grow in our love one for another and our love for Christ. And when we got these collaborations, they should lead into what I call personal and community change. As Christians, we should be growing in our love for God daily. We should get a better understanding in loving our neighbor daily. What does it mean? What does it look like? Here's the challenge in this book that I wrote with Ken Ham, One Race, One Blood, where we seek to put that biblical worldview together. Here's a challenge for me and a challenge for you. Do we dare to dream that the church can move beyond the visions of race relations to the unity of grace relations? And some people say, well, you're trying to get away talking about race because you want to you get off the subject. No, we believe in one race, but we believe it's one sinful race. And we chronicle that in the book. A lot of sins going on. Loving relationships united by the cross and governed by the Bible lead to reconciliation. Such relationships among Christians across cultural and ethnic backgrounds are like a neon sign publicizing that Christ has transformed and identified us as followers of Christ.
Do you dare dream that dream? Uh, will you try to get into respectful conversation? Will you try to create love and collaboration? Will you look for personal change and community change as Christians for the glory of God? When I think about it, here's what I'm challenged with. Color me love. I told you God convicted me about do I believe revival is possible? And I said, yeah, I believe it. I preach it. I pray it. He said, no, but do you believe it can happen? I said, put in my little journal, no. I'm not really looking for it. But I asked God to convict me of that and help my unbelief. Yesterday, my wife, Sharon, and I, we were just looking at some things that we could look at on, on uh, TV, on Netflix or somewhere. I forgot where we were, but we found this Billy Graham Sermon of Billy Graham that was followed by testimonies. And this one guy from Australia, he said that he was part of a gang. And when Billy Graham was coming to Australia, he said, I hated Christianity and I hated Billy Graham. And he, as a gang member, 10 of them got together and said, we're going to kill Billy Graham. They went to the Billy Graham crusade. All of them had a gun. They sat down front, and they said, our plan was when Billy Graham offered the, the altar call, we would go forward as though we wanted to get saved, and we would shoot and kill Billy Graham. As they listened to the message, the guy who's giving a testimony now works for the Salvation Army. He said God broke his heart. He began to weep. And at the end, instead of killing Billy Graham, he and nine of the ten gang members got saved. That's called grace. It's called getting the gospel out. People who hate you turn to the Christ that you preach. So God challenged me, no, no, I, I do it. I saved you in 1968. I save other people. And I can revive you and revive the church. And here's what I'm dealing with. When you look at me, you say, well, Dr. Ware, you're a black man. I'm brown, actually. We all we all colored folk case if you haven't heard, just a little bit more melanin, and I got more. So when some white person asked me one time, "Do you ever wish you were white?" I said, "For what? You go down to the beach and put all that stuff on your face to try to look like me." <laughs> I'm finding my skin. Martin Luther King Jr. said he dreamed of the day when his four little children would not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. That's what I'm asking you and asking myself as Christians to do. I want you to realize, according to the scriptures here, love the more excellent way. The priority of love. I've already talked about that in Matthew chapter 22. Jesus said, and this is the greatest commandment. If that's the greatest commandment, if all the law and prophets fall on that, then what are, you do, what are you and I doing about it as Christians seeking to love him more and love our neighbors ourselves? 1 Corinthians, he augurs in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 12, starting at verse 31, as he's talking about spiritual gifts. Now, 1 Corinthians was a church that had all the problems that we're having today. 1 Corinthians, they had divisions in the church. One said, I'm a Paul, one of Apollos, so on and so forth. In 1 Corinthians, they had sin in the church, all kinds of immorality. In 1 Corinthians, they had, they had divisions in the church that was taking the people to outside unsaved lawyers to solve their disputes. 
They had doctrinal problems in the church. But they were proud church, and they were talking about the spiritual gifts and all the rest. And um, Paul says, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. If you want unity, here's the way. It's love. Though I speak with the voices of men and angels, I'm a great orator and have not love. Though I can get all kind of knowledge and understand prophecy and have not love. Though I have faith that I can tell a mountain to be moved and have not love. Though I give my goods to feed the poor and give my body to be burned and have not love. It doesn't profit me anything. Love is a high priority with God. Not only that we love God, but we love our neighbor. And therefore, what we say and what we do should be motivated by the love of God or God says it's no good. You can read through that chapter 13 and get the characteristics of love. He gives them there. Maybe check yourself out. See how you line up with what God is calling love. Revelations 2, verses 1 through 7, he speaks about the church at Ephesus. He says, gave them a lot of good things. You would fit that characteristic. Good things in that church. But he says, I've got one thing against you. That is, you've left your first love. If you don't repent and return to your first love, I'll remove your candlestick. Love is important with God. I want you to note that um, 1 Corinthians I'm not 1 Corinthians, but John 13. This is actually where I get my thoughts from, from Color Me Love. Jesus Christ at the Last Supper has been betrayed by Judas. Judas walks out. He pulls the disciples together and he begins to talk to them about his crucifixion, how he would glorify God in that. But then he leaves this commandment with them. And I'm so glad that this is a commandment. It is not a suggestion. Verse 34, a new commandment I give you. It is a mandate from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. To disobey this is sin. I'm so glad he didn't command me to change the color of my skin. He didn't command me to change my ethnicity. He didn't command me to change my economic condition. He didn't command me to change where I live, the community I live in. All of these things are so important to us. And many times we can't even change them. But he commanded us something that every one of us can do. If you are a born again believer, you have the power through the spirit of God working in you through the word of God to conform you to the image of son of God. He can give you this kind of love. The commandment is that we love one another. I don't want to just see the color of your skin. I want to know the content of your character. I want to know, and you need to know from me, has God's Spirit worked in us in such a way that we can be colored love? It's the mandate. I want you to note the model. So how are you going to find love? You're going to turn on the top five music songs about love? You're going to read a romantic novel about love? Where are you going to create what's going to be your model of love? Jesus said, as I have loved you, you love one another. Here's the model. Sacrificial love. Gave himself for sinners such as you and I. Many times in these conversations, we're so hateful. We're so, we, we can't. 
We look at people as though they're demons and, and we get on Facebook and we call them names. And, and if we see them, we blow up and all the rest. I want to ask you, where's the love of God in your heart? God loves you. He commands us, as I have loved you, love one another. And then he says, in verse 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples. By the books you read, by, read, by the stats you quote, by the pol political positions you posture in, by the cross you put around your neck, by the shingle you put on your church, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. What is it that Greenwood needs to see? What is it that Indianapolis needs to see? What is it that Indiana needs to see from the church? What they need to see is a love so radical, so transformative. They've not seen anything like it. They couldn't pass laws to make it happen. They couldn't educate to make it happen. They couldn't give economic uh, uh, empowerment to make it happen. This love is so different. By this shall all men know. Jeremiah said, color me love. God, by your grace and your mercy, would you color me love? And this type of love that we're talking about, I want you to understand, I want to encourage you with this. This type of love that we're talking about, it doesn't come from you. It comes from the God in you. And what I want you to understand, to love others the way God loved us, we need to understand how God loved us. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Two characteristics First John gives of God. One, he's light, that's holiness. The other one is he's love. In this, verse 9, in this, the love of God was manifested toward us. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. He loved us first. He came from heaven and sought us out. He loved us most. The sinless son of God died a sinner's death for you and me. He loved us to life. He didn't want us to live across the streets. He says, this is eternal life that they might know you, the only true God. He wanted fellowship with us. I want to tell you something. The greatest justice question on planet Earth is raised in Romans chapter 3. In those texts, 23 to 27, now here's the justice question. How can God be just? And a justifier of them that believe on Jesus. God is a just God. There's no sin that will go unpunished. Every idle word will stand before God for. Men, if you looked upon a woman to lust at her in your heart, you committed adultery. 
If you have hatred towards somebody, Jesus, you said you committed murder. Jealousy, envy, pride. A just God will take justice on all of that. We might not see it meted out on planet Earth. We fight for where we can with laws and so on and so forth. But he's coming back. And he will make everything right. No sin will go unpunished. Either you will pay for it for an eternity in hell, or you believed on Christ and he paid for it. I'm so glad in March of 1968, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I'm saved by the blood of Christ. He, has his, he took the wrath due me upon himself. He gave me his righteousness. I stand as a forgiven sinner in the presence of a just God. He is just. He didn't, I, there was no plea bargain. There was no protest. There was no argument. It's all legit. It's all clean because the son of God died for my sins. I am accepted in the beloved. I'm dwelt by the spirit of God. I submit myself to the word of God. I'm part of the family of God. I'm living now to advance the kingdom of God. I feel good about me. And you and I have got to watch out if we allow the media to define us, if we allow other people to define us, if we spend so many time reading books trying to figure out who we are. You need to get in the book and find out who you are. And if Christ so loved you, you ought to love one another. We ought to love one another. Man, that's why you're paralyzed. I'm fearful of what they... You need to be fearful of what God knows, not what they think. And besides, if you say something is wrong and you get reproved about it, you should have the humility to change. It's no big thing. We think of ourselves more highly than we are. You and I need to get secure in the Savior's love. Because when we're secure in the Savior's love, that frees us up to not think so much about ourselves, but about our brothers and sisters. And that's what we need. By the way, that clock's not running. Okay. I still got 30 minutes. <laughs> that's all right. No, 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 no. I don't know where we're at, but I'm, I'm, I'm about to wrap up. But here's the deal. What can we do? Every one of us who are Christian can do this. I've just started doing this. God convicted me to do this. I started a Grace Relations journal. In that journal, as I read the scriptures daily, I'm asking God to speak to my heart through his word about sin in my life, a lack of love for him, a lack of love for my neighbor, so I can change. And I'm thinking about it, particularly about the whole race issue. How do I treat my brothers? What do I think about my brothers? What attitude do I have towards my brothers and sisters, especially in the church of different ethnicities, economic girls, all that? God, convict me. Convict me of pride. Convict me of the fear of man. Convict me of misunderstandings, of not listening, not empathizing. Convict me of not loving, not, not having a bird. God, just convict me. And, and God is doing that. And I, and I write it in my journal. After reading the Word of God today, this is what God said to me about my heart. I got to keep my heart with all diligence. For out of it proceeds the issues of life. If I just look at the media, if I just 
get on Facebook and social media, I get one view. But when I'm cleansed by the word of God, I get another view. I want to start there and then critique everything else through the word of God. Then he said, but in the journal, you need to write down grace relations answers to prayer. Redeemer Bible Church is in my grace relations journal. Because a couple of months ago, I really broke down before God. And I just said, God, I, I believe you gave me this message, but I don't know what to do with it. I'm trying to make recordings. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get it out there. I don't know how to get it out there. I need help. I need a team. I need, I need, I, God, I, I, week later, Pastor Graham called me and said, Dr. Ware, we believe that God has called us to help you Get the grace relations message out. So, wow, I prayed. God answered. It's in my grace relations journal. One of the things the devil's going to do in the midst of the chaos and conflict is you're going to forget the hand of God and you're going to get so caught up in what isn't happening that you think God is not working at all. So you need to get a hold of the fact that where you see the hand of God, write it down, go back, look at it, and praise God that he has a remnant in the midst of of the destruction. The last thing I want to say is we've got these 15 things. You can just flip through that. You can get slides from them. I put some more and it got up to 23. But I saw in Mattis here and I just want to close this illustration of what I call a grace relations things that has marked my life. In 1998, Matt ran into a wall at Heritage Christian School doing basketball practice and broke his neck and became a quadriplegic. I didn't know how we were going to take care of him, how we were going to take care of our family. And I just told God, I don't know what to do. And, and God moved in miraculous ways. People began to pray for us literally around the world. People began to help us in different ways from our church. Our church took up an offering for the Matwell Trust Fund on a Sunday night, took up $167,000. Some business people had a banquet. They took up $140,000, Kroger Food Stores. Gave us a brand new 1998 Dodge Caravan, handicapped, adapted, debt-free. Then um, some Christian business people built us a house at their cost. Between the sale of our house and the gifts of other people, we moved in that house absolutely debt-free. I mean, God was doing all this miraculous thing. Listen, folks, I didn't care whether they were black, white, or polka dot. I just needed people who loved God and could get through to God in prayer. And then people who were coming to us in the midst of our crisis. God told me that the family of God came together around you at a crisis moment. That's the grace of God. And then God used it in such a miraculous way because Billy Graham, his last crusade here in Indianapolis, he, on Saturday night, youth night, he had three recorded testimonies. One of them was of our son, Matt. And, 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 and what got it there is when Matt was hurting and, and I was out of state and his mother got there to the, co to the school and he was on a stretcher being taken to an ambulance to go to a hospital. His mama ran up to him crying over her baby. He's hurt and she's weeping. And Matt looked her in the eyes and said, Mom, pull yourself together. Remember God's in control. And that's what took his testimony all over the place. I want to tell you something. We need that type of radical love that will cause the city of Greenwood, Indianapolis, and the state of Indiana to recognize a revival that's taking place in our hearts as believers. 
demonstrated by our love one for another, and together with one voice, we'll preach to them Jesus Christ. God bless.